You're listening to the Grace Family Church Podcast. Notes for today's sermon are available by downloading the GFC Florida app. How many of y'all thought that was creepy? (laughs) All right. Well, hello, Grace Family Church. You glad to be in the house? Say yes. Listen, we're going to jump right here into this series, Realms. I'm excited to jump in here with you. I want to tell you a story first. Uh, My family and I, we actually just got back from Hawaii, the beautiful uh, island of Maui. We've been there a few times. Yeah, it was, thank God, for for friends. We've been there a few times, and and one of the times that we went, we went whale watching, if anybody's ever been whale watching. We went whale watching and and snorkeling. And so uh, our whole family, all seven of us are on this boat going whale watching out into the ocean. And at first we weren't really seeing any whales. And before you know it, there was a whale right with the boat, in sync with the boat. And you don't really realize how big a whale is until it's next to you. Huge. There's a whale and, and she had just had birth. And so she, there's a calf next to her and in tow is a male whale or what the, the natives call a protector. So there are three whales that have surrounded this boat and we're going out and it's beautiful and dangerous looking at the same time. And the captain is, he's given us all these facts about whales and the ocean. And at one point he stops the boat and he puts a microphone into the water about 150 feet into the water so that we could hear what's going on in the ocean. And and I found it to be amazing. There was just a cornucopia of sounds and beautiful things that I'd never heard before going on right underneath my feet. It was just beautiful to hear what was happening. He was giving us all this knowledge about what whales do and how they can communicate with each other on the other side of the world. And then we finally get to the spot where we're going to go and do our snorkeling. And this was my first time snorkeling. I'd never been snorkeling before. So I was a little scared to be in the middle of the ocean, people, Jesus. So I'm out here in the ocean. Everybody jumped in and I kind of just got in slowly. But we get to the spot where we're snorkeling and I get under the water and it's amazing. There's schools of fish swimming around me and you see turtles and there's all these beautiful coral reefs and all of this beautiful colors and all this stuff is happening under the water and, and the the captain of the boat was saying, the ocean, we need the ocean, and we don't even realize how much of an impact the ocean has on our lives, that 90% of the UV rays that come to Earth are actually absorbed by the ocean, and if it wasn't there, we'd get burnt to a crisp. We also get different medicines and vitamins and things that come from the ocean. There are things that are happening in the ocean that actually sustain our life on Earth, and you don't even know it. Someone doesn't tell you. And this, this is almost the same as, as today we continue in our series, Realms, reminding us that there's a realm beyond our five senses that is impacting and influencing our natural world. We live in a supernatural world. And, and last week, Pastor Craig reminded us that to be unaware is to be unprepared. You must understand that we live in a supernatural world and we have a supernatural adversary. And while we have an adversary that he he hates the creator and he hates the creation even more, we have an adversary who's after us, 
But even better than that, we have a God who's all-powerful, who's here to deliver us, and he has victory, and we have victory in him because we are his sons and his daughters. The devil is after you to deceive you and to disrupt everything and every purpose that God has in your life. But I thank goodness for an all-powerful God who delivers me and gives me a plan of attack from the enemy. We have a spiritual adversary, but we also have an incredible savior. And the Bible gives us everything that we need to know that we are actually in a war. Whether you believe it or not, whether you admit it or not, you are in a war for your soul. In the spiritual world, there are angels and demons that are fighting for your soul. There are angels that are fighting for the kingdom, and there are demons that are fighting against you every step of the way. Now understand this. We learned this last week. Understand, there are some stuff that we go through. It's just stuff. Some of it is a byproduct of our disobedience, our foolishness, and us just doing what we want to do. But other times there are seasons that we go through things and you go, this ain't natural. This is not like anything else that I've been through. This is different. I'm under attack. I want to share this with my family. In the past year, this past year, I have experienced more tragedy than I've experienced in my whole life. My family, we've experienced loss, we've experienced death, we've been through suicide attempts, COVID three times, pneumonia, severe concussions, broken bones, vertebrae issues, all kind of stuff, and a host of other things that I won't explain to you. And sometimes you go through stuff, and I know it's easy to look and say, man, everything has to be going right in their lives. And it's easy because you haven't pulled back the curtain and you don't see what all is going on. And while there has been great tragedy, there's also been great triumph. And I know that the devil has been coming after my family, and I've understood this. I've understood that the devil is coming after my family because I'm a threat. And I know the devil is coming after some of you because you're a threat. You're a threat to the kingdom. And I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm ready to fight. This is how I feel right now. I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to fight. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to fight. I, there's a holy indignation on me right now. You coming for me? How dare you come for me? I'm ready to fight. Let's go. This brings us to the book of Ephesians. Paul, in the book of Ephesians, in the first three chapters, Paul is reminding us of our spiritual inheritance. He spends the first three chapters telling us who we are in Christ. And reminding us, he says, that you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, that you've been called, that you've been chosen, you've been separated, you've been predestined. You've been sealed by the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what he does in Ephesians 1 through 3. He gives us our spiritual inheritance. And in Ephesians 4 through 6, he talks about our spiritual walk. It's, in the speech, it's, it's 4 through 6 that he says, I want you to walk worthy of the calling which you have been called. In other words, I want you to act like you're a child of God. I want you to act like you love Jesus. I want you to do everything that you can to keep the peace with each other. 
This is how I want you to live with your brothers and your sisters. This is how I want you to be an employer to employee. This is how I want you to live, husbands and wife and children and father. And this is how I want you to live. And Paul sets this up for us. And then he gets us to Ephesians 6. And he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Stand against the schemes of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He says, first, I, I need you to be strong in the Lord and in his strength. In his strength. We try to fight battles in our own strength and you will lose every time. You cannot win a battle between Satan and the enemy on your own strength. But you don't have to because you get to fight in the strength of the Lord. Because of his death, his burial, and his resurrection, we actually have, we have access to his strength so that we can win the battle. Satan would love nothing more than you to try to fight on your own strength. Your strength will leave you defeated. When David fights Goliath, Y'all know the story of David and Goliath. When David goes to fight Goliath, David shows up at the camp just to bring food to his brothers. And he notices that they're not fighting. And he says, why ain't y'all fighting? And they say, have you seen this dude? He's nine feet tall. And David is actually offended because David says, but you are children of God. So David decides to fight, and David goes and stands before Goliath, and they do something that's called playing the dozens. I don't know if y'all know about what that means. They capping on each other. They joning. In other words, they show up. David shows up to the battlefield, and Goliath looks at him, and he says, how dare y'all bring me somebody that I could feed to the birds? David, this runt little boy who's only about 14 years old, he's not even old enough to enlist into the army. David shows up and he doesn't even have a sword. He brings the only thing he has is a slingshot and a few stones. David stands in front of Goliath and says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. I'm not coming to you in my own strength. I'm not coming to you in my own stuff. I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord. And then David says, not only am I going to kill you, I'm going to cut your head off. Now think about, think about, listen, when you come in the authority of the Lord, you can do the will of the Lord. Because I understand this, David doesn't have a sword. David proclaims what he's going to do because David knows that I'm not talking in my own authority or my own strength. In other words, David is saying, I'm going to use your sword to cut your head off. Even though I only showed up with a slingshot. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Then he says, put on the whole armor of God. I don't need you running out there half-dressed. I need you to put the whole thing on. To put on suggests that this armor is available to all who believe, but it will not be active if you don't participate. 
It's our union with Christ that gives us access to the armor of God. He says, put on the whole armor so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Say schemes. Schemes, schemes, schemes. He's got schemes. He's got tactics. He's got methods. He's plotting. He's planning. He's scheming on you. The word devil and scheming is, is roughly translated as one who continues over and over again. He's coming after you over and over again. And for the most part, I'm a pretty chill person. Anybody that knows me, I'm pretty chill. I'm pretty laid back. I don't wear my emotions on my sleeve. It's really hard to offend me. Don't try it, though. It's really hard to offend me. Even in times where people thought they, were offend, they offended me, I didn't even know. But if I find out you've been scheming on me, you've been scheming, you've been plotting, you've been planning, that means you've been watching me and my family, you've been looking and writing down our weaknesses so that you can try to defeat me and come after me, you've been scheming on me, then let's fight. Oh, if I find out you've been scheming, I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to go because you've been scheming. You've had a plan to defeat me and I'm dressed to fight. Watch yourself. He's scheming. The Bible says he has a plan. And so if the devil has a plan, then we should have a plan. If he has a plan to defeat you, then I should have a plan for victory. And this is exactly what the Bible gives us. He gives us a plan for victory. And we know that the devil is after you any way that he can. The Bible says in verse 10, it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, powers, and spiritual forces of evil. That means there's four levels of opposition that are coming against you. You're such a threat that he's coming to you in every way that he can. North, south, east, and west. Because he knows that if you win, it's going to be a problem. I heard a preacher once say, he says, when I die, I want hell to celebrate. I want hell to go, we glad he gone because he was a real problem for us. There's opposition coming against you. And here's what I've learned and even all the opposition that has been coming against me and my family, I've learned that the level of your opposition is equal the level of your elevation. In other words, the enemy is coming after you so relentlessly because he knows and he sees your potential. He knows that God has a purpose and a plan for your life. He knows that God has something incredible for you to do. He sees that God has his hand on you and he wants to, to destroy your impact and your testimony. So, Paul says, put on the whole armor. What is this, this armor that Paul is encouraging us to put on? We get to Ephesians 6 and 14, and Paul says, first, I need you to put on the belt of truth. I need you to be girded with truth. Paul, when he's writing this, is actually on house arrest, and he's looking at a Roman soldier 
And he's breaking down what the Roman soldier has and he's using it for spiritual capacity so we can understand what does God want us to do when we are in this fight? How does God want us to be dressed? Because we're in the army of the Lord. He says, first, I need you to put on the belt of truth. The belt was actually the first thing that a soldier put on. And this wasn't a fashion belt. This wasn't a skinny belt. This wasn't a thin belt. This was a significant belt, almost like a weightlifting belt because the belt was designed to hold up the rest of the armor. See, the armor that a Roman soldier wore was about 70 pounds or more. And they walked around with this armor for 12 to 14 hours a day. So they needed something that was substantial that was actually gonna hold up their core and to keep everything on. And this is what truth does for us. Truth is the foundation. Truth holds up our core. Truth keeps your back straight. Truth lets you know that I won't bend or break for nobody because I'm, I'm first laced with truth. You need truth. What is truth? Truth is an objective standard by which all things are measured. Let me say it again. Truth is an objective standard by which all things are measured. What are all things measured by? Jesus. Jesus is the truth. Truth is not your feelings, it's not your ideas, it's not your politics, it's not your money, it's not your emotions. Truth is not even what you believe. Truth doesn't need you to believe it for it to be truth. Truth is truth because God said it. That's what makes it truth. And we, because we live in a world that is constantly changing its truth, we actually change our truth like we change our socks. What was true one day isn't true, and then it changes for the next day. Then we've got a whole new, brand new truth. But our truth, Hebrews 13 says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He never changes. He is the standard by which we measure all things. You need some Truth first. Truth, he says, I need you to be buckled tight in your truth. I need you to be girded in truth. I need you to make God's standard the compass for your life. And here's why this is so critical. Because the first area of attack from the enemy is truth. Satan is a deceiver, and without the word of God as your standard and as your compass, you are defenseless and gullible. You need truth. Be secure in your truth. When the world says, make your own truth, you tell the world, the world Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. that says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is through all, in all, and above all. That is the truth. That's the truth. When Jesus says he is the truth in John 14 and 6, he says, I am the way and I am the truth. This is not a metaphor or a simile. Jesus is saying, this is my identity. I can't be anything less than who I am. I am the truth. When you need to figure out what life is going, first look to truth. Whatever decisions that you may make, look at truth first. Because your feelings will deceive you. Oh, your feelings will deceive you. It will deceive you. You don't get your own truth. Mm, somebody really needs to hear that. You don't get your own truth. 
I was talking to one of my in-laws, my brother-in-law, and we were sitting around talking about Bible stuff. And, and, and to be honest with you, I don't always like talking to my in-laws about Bible stuff. I just, I just don't. And they want to get all deep and theological, and I don't. So my brother-in-law, one day, he says, I believe everybody has their own truth. Whatever is right to you is the right way. So very facetiously, I said to him, I said, well, then I should be able to bust you in your head then. And it's all right. He said, no, no, you can't do that. I said, why? That's my truth. If that's my truth, you should accept that as truth. He said, no, you can't do that. I said, why? He said, well, because that's wrong. I said, where are you getting that standard from? Our morality, our standards, they come from Jesus Christ. And don't let no one push you from the truth of the gospel. So first there's the belt of truth, then there's the breastplate of righteousness. He says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now the breastplate of righteousness sat on truth. While it goes over the shoulders, it sat on the belt of truth. And you need your breastplate because it protects your heart. It protects a sensitive area. It protects where your emotions flow and your feelings flow. And you need something that's going to protect that. What is righteousness? Righteousness is simply right living. That's all it is. Righteousness is choosing to live in a way that honors God and not making room for the devil. I know it can be challenging and it can often be a struggle to live right. And I think most of you, you probably think you struggle between right and wrong. That our struggle is not between right and wrong. Most of us have a struggle between righteousness and right-ishness. Right-ishness. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and she was saying uh, she was going to make a decision about something or a friend of hers was making a decision about something and decision was a bad decision. And she said, well, at least it's not this. Which is how most of us make decisions. We go, we make decisions on the lesser of two wrongs. And God is not calling us to live right-ish. He's calling us to live righteous. And here's the deal. You don't have to try to live righteous on your own. Righteousness sits on truth, which means it's not your responsibility to hold up the righteousness. It's just your responsibility to put on the righteousness. Jesus is our righteousness, so you don't have to prove your righteousness. It's because Jesus has already taken the weight off because he is the truth that you can walk lightly with righteousness on you. See, the devil will try to make you he will try to make you think that righteousness is about perfection and condemnation, and it isn't. Righteousness is about choosing to live God's way and not my way. Choosing to live God's way and not Instagram's way. Choosing to live God's way and not TikTok's way. Righteous. Remember, walking around with 70 pounds of armor. So he says, put on the belt of truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness. And then he says, your shoes. He says, and your, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Shoes of peace. You got to have the right shoes on. Shoes of peace. 
I love shoes, by the way. The Roman soldier's shoes had a very thick sole and they also had spikes or cleats underneath the sole because when they were going to war, it was a lot of rocky terrain and they had to walk very far to get to where they needed to go. And the enemy would often put spikes and broken sticks on the ground so that they could pierce their shoe into their foot. Because you know, no feet, no fight. And he says, I need you to put on the shoes of peace. I mean, I need you to put on the right shoes because the, the shoes that God gives you are shoes of peace, which means this, you have total assurance, no matter how bad it looks, no matter how rocky the terrain, you're going to be all right. I can step anywhere I want to because I'm not walking on my own peace. I'm walking on the peace of Jesus. Jesus has already laid the way and laid the foundation for me. And I'm not walking on what I said. I'm walking on his truth. So I can have assurance that God is going to do just what he said he's going to do, the way that he said he's going to do it. So I walk with assurance. I got my shoes on. Then he says, pick up your shield of faith. Take up the shield of faith which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, your shield. You need your shield of faith. The Greek word for shield is thurion or theos, and it actually means door. One of the first things that a Roman soldier would do when they enlisted to the army is they would get their measurements taken for their shield. This was not a decorative shield. This wasn't a Captain America shield. This was actually a shield that covered their entire body so that they were fully covered. So the shield that they had was crafted for them alone. In the same way in the spirit world, in Romans 12 and 3, it says, God says, every man is given a measure of faith. When the Roman soldiers measured you for your shield, it was called a measure of faith. So you don't need somebody else's faith. All the faith you need to do what God has called you to do, you have. You have access to all the faith you need to cover you from head to toe and from side to side. It's, this is not a little round shield. This is a full door that gets to cover you as you are in battle. And then it says it will quench the fiery arrows of the enemy. This is what your shield will do. Your shield will quench the fiery arrows of the enemy. I think arrows are enough. If somebody's shooting arrows at me, I'm good. But you're shooting fiery arrows at me? Fiery arrows. I, I was a little taken back when I read that. Why do the arrows have to have fire on them? The fire was for distraction. Because you can't fight fire and fight the enemy. So your faith is designed to quench the fire so you don't get caught up in the distraction. Some of us are going to war. Some of us are fighting, but we're getting caught up in the distraction. We, you actually think that the problem is your spouse, and that's not. That's just a, a distraction. You think it's your kid or it's your school, it's a finance, and those are just distraction. And the devil wants to get you distracted so that you don't fight the enemy. You're fighting fires. So you need your shield up. Say, take up your shield. You need your shield of faith. You need your helmet of salvation. Oh, 
You need a helmet of salvation. You've seen these helmets that the Roman soldiers wore. This was a brass helmet and had the big feathery thing on the top that identified who they had allegiance to and it usually had a duck bill in the back and that was to actually protect the spine. In the same way a physical helmet protects you from fatal blows, the helmet of salvation protects you from fatal thoughts because the battle begins in the mind. He says, I need you to protect your mind. Protect your mind. Salvation means to be delivered. So protect your mind. You have to remind yourself that you've been delivered from the penalty of sin. You have to remind yourself that you've been delivered from condemnation. You've been delivered from, from not feeling love. You've been delivered from feeling ashamed or feeling guilt. You've been delivered and you've got to remind yourself of those things. And in Philippians 4 and 8, it says, think on these things. When you have anxiety and worry, you need to think on these things. What things? Whatsoever is true. What is just? What is of good report? What is a virtue? Think on these things. In Romans 12 and 2, it says you need to be renewed by the transforming of your mind. You've transformed by the renewing of your mind because battle happens in your mind. And Paul says, I need you to protect your mind. Guard your mind. Then he says, you need a sword. Ooh, you need a sword. Can I get a sword? Uh-oh. You need a sword. He says, you need the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Hebrews 4 says, the Word of God is living and active and is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit. The sword, it, it, is, it is offensive and a defensive weapon. It both pierces and it protects. It cuts deep and it discerns. You need the sword, which is the word of God. Why? Because Satan is allergic to the truth of God's word. It's only, it's only the word of God that slices the intentions of the enemy. It's only the word of God that cuts deep into the lies, into the tall tales. It's the word of God that backs the enemy into a corner and silences his threats. You need the word of God. In your life, I'm always amazed by how many believers don't read the Word of God. When I was growing up and we were playing video games, and I would always call my friends and we would have a friend that we can call so we could get through levels faster or skip a level. Anybody know about Nintendo Sega Genesis? Skipping a level? And so we called it a cheat code. The cheat code gave us access to levels a lot quicker so that we wouldn't have to go through certain issues and, and certain problems that everybody else would go through. Well, guess what? The Bible is your cheat code for living. Oh, why am I going through all this stuff, Pastor Darrell? Did you read your Bible? No. Why? It has all the answers for every ailment, every issue, every problem. It has a solution for everything. It is more than just the basic instruction before leaving earth. It is our guide for abundant living and our guide for victory. We've got to read our word. You have to use the sword of the spirit. It is an offensive and a defensive weapon. And then, just in case, 
you forget all of these six items to put on. Paul says, pray. In verse 18, he says, pray. You need to pray. He says, pray for all things on all occasions. You need to pray. Prayer gives you access to the throne of God. Why would you not pray? Prayer gives you access to the unimaginable and the impossible. There was a, there was a, a, a bodybuilder who went to Africa, to, went to this tribe in Africa, and he's got muscles on top of muscles, and they asked this uh, African tribal chief, can he take pictures and do a photo shoot in, in his tribe? And he says, sure. And the tribal chief is sitting in the corner. He's watching this guy take all these pictures, and he's amazed by how muscular he is. And when they get done with the photo shoot, the tribal chief says, wow. He says, your muscles are incredible. What else do you do with your muscles? And a bodybuilder says, nothing, I just take pictures. And the tribal chief said, what a waste. What a waste to have access to God and not use it. What a waste to have access to the throne and not use it. We need prayer. We need prayer, people. We need prayer more than we need anything else. If you've lived on the earth for more than six minutes, you know we need prayer. We need prayer. And we need soldiers who are willing to pray, who are willing to fight. I want to know, are any of you willing to fight? Anybody willing to fight? Anybody willing? Listen, we need more than that. It's not called the ensemble of the Lord. It's called the army of the Lord. Make some noise if you're willing to fight. Verse 18, he says, pray and pray for everything. Verse 19, Paul says, and don't forget to pray for me. Don't forget to pray for me. Paul is reaching out to his community and says, I need prayer too. Don't just pray for you and pray for stuff. Pray for me too. See, we, we, one of our values here is being relational. But I think we don't always take that as seriously as we should because I get emails, campus pastors get emails all the time saying, pray for me because a lot of times we treat the pastors like an emergency button. And I pray for you, and I want to pray for you, and I will continue to pray for you, but I shouldn't be your first call. Pastor Craig, your campus pastor shouldn't be your first call. You know who your first call should be? Your community, your people. You're, we, sometimes we find ourselves suffering because we won't share our lives with the people that we do life with. Something that's happened in my own life this year, all the stuff that we've gone through this year. We've gone through suicide attempt, broken bones, COVID several times, pneumonia, all kind of other issues. But when I told my people that I needed prayer, within hours, they showed up in my doorstep. Because that's what we're here for. That, that's why we want you to find your people because you cannot do this by yourself. That's why we want you to find your people because you're 
you're under spiritual warfare and Satan wants to attack you and you can't win the battle on your own. Within moments, within hours of me telling my people what was going on, within hours, someone, it was a whole six to eight people were at my doorstep with food. Amen, food. With food, ready to feed us and pray for us. They showed up and said, no, you're not by yourself. We in this thing together. And they showed up with oil. They said, we're going to anoint your house, every door. We're going to be outside. We're going to anoint the outside, the inside. People was anointing my shed. I think somebody anointed my neighbors. I don't know what they was doing outside. But we need prayer. We need prayer. Don't underestimate the power of prayer in your life and understand this, prayer is not to manipulate the hand of God. Prayer is so that you can understand the will of God. When Jesus says, not my will, your will be done. God, what do you want me to do right now? How do you want me to live in this moment? And I know, you know what, I know the devil coming after me. And guess what? Come on. Come on, Cletus. You'll walk over, but you'll limp back. I'm ready to fight. I'm dressed to fight. And I got a whole bunch of people ready to fight with me. I didn't come alone. Y'all ready to fight with me? That, I don't, that, that was weak. Are y'all ready to So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to turn this over to the campus pastors here in a moment. Here's what we're going to do. Two ways. If you feel like you need prayer for anything, whatever it is, we're going to call our prayer partners down. They're going to be down here. They're going to be all over the place. I want you to run, not walk, and get prayer. You do not have to leave this place the same way you came. You don't have to. Don't sneak out of here. Pray. Pray. And if you're the person that says, I don't need it, pray for somebody else. Because prayer is intercession. Pray for somebody else. Take your phone out and ask your community of people, say, how can I pray for you today? How can I petition God for you today? Pray for someone else and watch God do something incredible. So first, before we move on, I want to know, do we have any prayer warriors at Grace Family Church? Man, I feel like y'all need to make enough noise to make the devil mad. Do we have any prayer warriors? We're going to get out of here. Last thing, I'm going to ask you to pray for me. The same prayer that Paul asked the people in Ephesians to pray for him. He says, pray for me. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for everyone. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. 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 Lord. Thank you for listening to the Grace Family Church podcast. For more info, check out gfcflorida.com. Or connect with us by texting the word CONNECT to 81313. We look forward to meeting you at one of our locations soon.